Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Everybody doing well? It's good to be back in Melbourne. It's been 11 years since I've been here. Is that correct? 11 years. And I have been looking forward to returning. And uh, always good to be with the Lewis family. We've known them for many, many years. Appreciate all the family. In fact, I've known most of the children since they were just real little. The guy playing the keyboard, my goodness. What happened to you? You've been feeding him good. He was just a little guy when I first met him. Uh, one of our associates was here recently, I believe back in November, was it? Eric Deaton, were you here when he preached? What a wonderful man of God he is, and what a blessing he and his family are to our ministry. And we are uh, thrilled to have them uh, involved with what we're doing for the kingdom of God. And uh, what a great blessing they are. So uh, it's good to be with you this morning, and thank you for coming. I was awakened this morning. When they picked us up at the airport yesterday, what was it, about 8 o'clock or 6 o'clock or so last night, coming in from Gold Coast, we had a, a busy schedule, particularly the last day in Gold Coast. And uh, it was, it was all-day events. And so when we arrived here, I was ready for bed. You know, the Lord neither sleeps nor slumbers, but I'm human. And I need some every once in a while. And uh, so when we arrived and got to the hotel about 8 o'clock or so, as soon as I got a few things unpacked, I was in bed and was enjoying a good night's rest. And the Holy Spirit woke me up at 4.30 with a word to share with you this morning. So this is right hot off the press, praise God. And I'm delighted to be able to bring it to you. Now, I want you to open your Bibles, first of all, as I prepare to share this. To the book of Proverbs, chapter 6. <clears throat> and while you're turning there, I want to preface this with My assignment for 2023, every year the Lord gives me a prophetic word that I'm to take to the world, wherever he might send me, and I don't change that until I hear otherwise. And uh, this all began in 1991, where I was preaching with Brother Copeland in the Southwest Believers Convention in Fort Worth, Texas. And I've done all of his Believer's Conventions since he started them. Brother Copeland and I have been preaching together as a team for 53 out of my 54 years of ministry. And uh, I preach every day in those conventions. But he also has me to preach on Thursday night. And as he was introducing me that night uh, and got ready to walk off the platform, he stopped and said, Jerry, before you start today, uh, the word of the Lord just came to me. So he walked back up to the podium and began to prophesy over me. And he said, Lord, the Lord is moving you into a new dimension of ministry beginning tonight. And it involves the office of the seer. And he said, God's going to begin to show you things that are on his agenda, things to come 
and then hold you responsible for sharing them with the body of Christ wherever he might send you. And there were some other things he said, but that was the main part of it. Then shortly after that, I was preaching all over Southern California. I had one night off, Saturday night, and I knew Kenneth Hagin was going to be in Riverside, California. So I had determined in advance that I wanted to be in his service on Saturday night. I didn't call him. I didn't call his staff and let anyone know I was coming. I just wanted to show up and be in his service. And that was the only night I could be there. And so I was staying in Los Angeles, and I spent a lot of time in Southern California. And I knew how far it was and how long it would take to drive from L.A. to Riverside. And I don't like being late, so I arranged to leave early enough and hopefully to get there before Brother Hagin went out to preach and just say hello to him and uh, uh, let him know how much I was looking forward to what he had to say that night. But as it turned out, the traffic was even worse than normal, and normal is bad. Anybody ever been to Southern California? Uh, okay, you know what I'm talking about. So it wound up me arriving there an hour after the service started. And uh, I was disappointed that I was late, and I thought Brother Hagin would probably already be preaching. But much to my surprise, when I walked in the building, he was still sitting on the platform with his head down looking in his Bible. And so I didn't want to disturb anybody. I just walked across the back trying to find a seat. And apparently while I was walking there looking for a seat, Brother Hagin raised his head up. And then he stood up and he said, you can stop singing now. He's here. God told me you'd be here, Brother Jerry. Come on up to the front. And so I came to the front and he began to prophesy over me. And he said, now the Lord has recently talked to you about a new dimension of ministry. He said, you've been a little bit hesitant. And he said, the Lord told me to tell you it's time for you to move in, move up, and move out. And then he laid hands on me and prayed on me. And then after the service, went back to the speaker's room and had an opportunity to talk with him for a little while. And he said, now, you know what I'm talking about, don't you, boy? And I said, yes, sir. He said, uh, well, what are you going to do about it? I said, I'm going to move in, move up, and move out. <laughs> and uh, so then uh, after I went back to Anaheim and, and uh, spent, or Los Angeles, rather, I spent a, a few more nights, and then I went home. Shortly after that, I returned to Southern California, and I was preaching in Anaheim. And uh, I got a call that morning from Will Roberts. He said, Jerry, when are you preaching again? I said, tonight, sir. He said, is Carolyn with you? I said, yes, sir. He said, well, tell Carolyn to save two seats for me and Evelyn. We'll be there in the service tonight. And uh, so they came. After the service, Brother Roberts said, I'm not going to tell you what I heard and what I saw tonight while you were preaching. I'll write it to you in a letter. So when you get home, expect to have a handwritten letter from me. I said, I look forward to it. So when I got back home, there was a four-page handwritten letter from Oral Roberts. And uh, I won't tell you all that it said, but the beginning of it was, he said, apparently he went home after the service and wrote this letter right then. But he said, tonight as I heard you preach in Anaheim, I heard you preaching under a new anointing. He said it was the prophetic anointing. And I encourage you, every time you go to the pulpit, preach prophetically. And then he said some other things. So these were my three mentors in the early days of my ministry. 
Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagan, and Oral Roberts. These were the men who imparted into my life the most as a young minister and remained friends with them. Of course, uh, two of them have already gone home to be with the Lord, Brother Hagan, Brother Roberts. But we were very close friends, uh, preached together with them many times. They were in my home. I was in their home. Uh, I served on Brother Roberts' board for over 20 years. And uh, these men were very, very uh, close to me. And I appreciated the favor of God for arranging that relationship and that association. And then shortly after that, I was preaching with Brother Roberts in Tulsa at a minister's conference, had about 2,000 ministers in it. And the opening night, Brother Roberts said, now I'm going to start the service tonight, and then I'll end, and then you're going to close it out. I said, okay. So when he gave the service to me, I didn't see them when I first walked in, but when he turned the service over to me, T.L. and Daisy Osborne were sitting right on the front row. And Brother Osborne was my fourth mentor. Everything I know about world evangelism, I learned from T.L. and Daisy Osborne. And uh, so when I got through with the service, uh, Brother Osborne said, Brother Terry, I knew you would be here tonight. Daisy and I have been praying for you, and we've had you on our mind for the last several weeks. And said, the Lord told me to tell you something new is happening in your life and ministry. And he said, and I just wanted to encourage you, step into it. Obey God. He said, you know what I'm talking about? I said, yes, sir. So all four of my mentors saw the same thing, heard the same thing, within a matter of a few weeks of each other. So what else could I do but obey God? Amen. So from that moment, that was 1991, I have set aside the first part of the month of October to just seek the Lord as to the direction that he would have me go and the word that he would have me to take to the world uh, wherever he might send me during the course of that year. With that in mind, last October 2022, as I was seeking the Lord, and it don't always come, you know, the first few minutes. Sometimes I spend hours praying in the Spirit and just listening. If I don't receive it in the next few hours, then I just sit and be quiet and, uh, and then pray in the Spirit. And usually I receive it before the end of the day. If not, I'll just go back and start all over again. But on the, October the 1st of 2022, I heard the Lord say this. Tell the people everywhere you go in 2023 that it's time for the maximum. It's time for the highest level attainable. God wants us living in the maximum. Amen. Now, what does that mean? Well, obviously, it means the highest level attainable. You could also define it as living in God's best. Now, I like living in God's best. Anybody else like living in God's best? I invited a man to come a few years ago uh, to our headquarters in Fort Worth, Crowley, and, and, and speak to my staff. And I'll never forget his opening remarks. He, he speaks to a lot of Fortune 500 companies. He's a, a motivational speaker, a friend of mine. And uh, we're all sitting there looking forward to what he had to say. And he opened up with this. He said, how many of you in here believe that dogs love bones? Well, everybody lifted their hand. I had a couple of dogs, and they loved bones. I lifted my hand. He said, 
Well, dogs really love steak. They settle for bones. I thought, that'll preach. <laughs> that'll preach. That, that, that's like, uh, that, that'd be a good definition for the maximum. Why settle for bones when you can have steak? Amen? Why settle for bones when you can have steak? God's best I'm talking about. Now, this morning at 4.30, and I've, I've been preaching on the maximum all over the world since October. Joe and I have been all over the world. Uh, I, I preached 17 times, what was it, 14 days or 14 times in 17 days. It all runs together now. Just in, just in England a few days ago. And before that, we was all over Africa. And I have preached this all over the world, and I will continue to do so until God changes the direction, okay? <clears throat> and, and every time I open the Bible, I see maximum. I see highest level attainable, like I've never seen before. Now, the first thing I do when I receive the prophetic word that I'm to take to the world, I say, Lord, if you don't mind, I would appreciate it if you would confirm this in my life now. So when I take it to the rest of the Lord, it'll have validity. And he always does. And so I began experiencing higher level than the previous year. I'm experiencing right now a higher level than what we've ever experienced before, financially and in every other way. Amen. And so now... Uh, that I have evidence of it. And in fact, we're receiving testimonies from people all over the world who they are experiencing higher level than they've ever experienced. So since God is no respecter of persons, then I'm expecting that it's going to happen to people in this service in Melbourne, amen. just like it's happening amen. to people all over the world. Amen. Can you say amen? amen? Now let's remember in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2, I haven't, forgot, I haven't forgotten Proverbs 6. I'm just giving you plenty of time to find it. Okay? And uh, you have to remember in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2, it says this. Speaking of Old Testament people, it says, Because they did not mix their faith with the word preached, it did not profit them or benefit them. So what's important before we get started and say anything else is that you mix your faith with what you are about to hear. Now, I don't know about you, but when I come to church or I go to a meeting where I'm listening to someone else that I have confidence in and I believe they have the ability to hear from God, I go into that service prepared to mix my faith with what I'm about to hear. In fact, I, I do that before I even leave my home. I say, Lord, I'm going to go hear Kenneth Copeland tonight or I'm going to go hear... Uh, back in the day, John Osteen or T.L. Osborne or Brother Hagen, uh, and, and I am prepared before I ever hear what they say, I am prepared to mix my faith with it so it will benefit me. So I think that's something we ought to do right now. Amen? So won't you lift your right hand to God and say this, Father, in the name of Jesus, because I want this word that I'm about to hear preached to produce results in my life, to be a benefit to me, to profit me, and to take me to the next level 
I mix my faith with it right now. In Jesus' name, and I will receive everything I hear with signs following. And give the Lord a good shout in advance. Amen. Amen. Now, uh, this morning at about 4.30, I was just awakened. And uh, I had set my alarm for about 6.30. But God. <laughs> and the moment I got up, I went into the other room there and sat down. And I knew the Holy Spirit wanted to say something to me. So I sat down with my Bible, got some, uh, some fresh outline paper. Uh, this is right hot off the press. I wrote it this morning. It's in tongues, and nobody else can read it but me. Pray for my secretary. Because <laughs> once I preach it, then she types it and files it away, okay? But anyway, I, I heard the Lord say this morning, he said, tell the people that living in the maximum not only includes harvest on every seed they sow, but also recompense for everything that's stolen. Amen. Living in the maximum means, because the Bible says, uh, be not deceived, God is not mocked, whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. So that means we are entitled to a harvest on every seed we sow. And Psalm 20 says, and I'm paraphrasing, God never forgets the seed sown. It says, remember all thy offerings, is the way the King James says it. He said to me, when you read that verse, you say it like this. My God never forgets a seed sown. Are there any sowers in the building? I'm a sower. I live to give. My wife and I, that's, that's what we do. That's what we live for is sowing. Be blessed to be a blessing. Hallelujah. And so we are sowing continually. And because the Bible says, whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. The Phillips translation says, a man's harvest in life depends entirely upon the seeds which he sows. So that means I am entitled to expect a harvest from every seed that I sow. How many of you believe that? Now, a lot of times we sow, and if it doesn't come to pass, if the harvest doesn't manifest very rapidly or quickly or over a short period of time, we tend to let go of it. We tend to forget it. I wonder how much harvest just represented in this room alone is out there with your name on it waiting for you. Amen. Let me see the hands of sowers again. Let me ask you this. Have you already experienced harvest on every seed you've sown? Not yet. That's a good answer. Not yet. In fact, I, I got challenged one time a number of years ago in a minister's meeting. And uh, they were a little upset for us teaching people about believing for the hundredfold. And finally, one person spoke up and said, uh, when Jesus said, you shall receive a hundredfold, he didn't mean that literally. It was a metaphor. Well, I had gone to that meeting. Brother Copeland, myself, Jesse DePlanters, we all went to that meeting, flew together down there. And, and we'd all said on the way to that meeting, we're not going to open our mouth 
We're just going to sit there and listen. And so they talked and talked and talked. And finally, when this man said, uh, when Jesus said, uh, you shall receive a hundredfold in this life, that was not to be taken literally. It was just a metaphor. I couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> I felt a Smith Wigglesworth coming on. <clears throat> you know, when he heard unbelief, he'd just take over. He'd stand up and say, stop him, Lord. He's charging the air with unbelief. Well, I felt a Smith coming on, and I raised my hand. And Jesse and Brother Copeland looked at me as if to say, I thought you wasn't going to say anything, <laughs> but I couldn't take it anymore. And so I said, well, sir, let me ask you something. Would you tell me what a field full of metaphor looks like? He said, what? I said, what does a field full of metaphor look like? He said, I don't understand. I said, have you ever read Genesis chapter 26? Yes. I said, then tell me what a field full of metaphor looks like. He said, I still don't understand your question. I said, well, the Bible says Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And apparently it was not a metaphor. It could be seen because the Bible says the Philistines envied him when, what, when they saw what had happened to him. And one translation even says he waxed great. Now, that's not a term we use in Texas, and it's probably not a term you use here in <laughs> Melbourne. I mean, nobody's ever come up to me and said, uh, how you doing, Brother Jerry? Waxing great, thank you. <laughs> Now, what it literally means is I'm increasing. I'm prospering. One translation even says getting richer by the day. Okay, I lost my crowd. That's what waxing great literally means in the Hebrew. Increasing. And he says, and the Philistines envied him. Why? Because they saw the, 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 what God had done. He produced a hundredfold for him. So I said, now, sir, Tell me what a field full of metaphor looks like. He couldn't answer. If, if Jesus didn't mean what he said, he shouldn't have put it in my copy of the book. Because once I find it, I'm going for it. In fact, in the early days of mine and Carolyn's uh, walk of faith, back in 1969, when we first began this walk, we, we had to have hundredfold. Tenfold wouldn't help us. I'd owned an automotive business, and, and I shut that business down to go into the ministry, but I still had business debts. And in the natural, without me involved in that business, I had no way of paying all that debt off. And I learned about sowing and reaping. And the Lord said, you can sow your way out of debt. You can sow your way into abundance. So we learned to sow. And we sowed, and we didn't have a lot to sow. But every time we, we managed to scrape up, so to speak, seed, we sowed it, believing to get out of debt, believing for that harvest, that hundredfold. Now, the little seed that we had, tenfold wouldn't help us. You know, 10 times 10... That didn't help us at all. 30-fold didn't help us. 60-fold 
might help us breathe a little easier, but we needed hundredfold. So we didn't, we didn't know any better than take Jesus at what he said. It's found in Mark chapter 10, that any man who gives houses, brethren, lands, whatever, for my sake or the gospel, shall receive a hundredfold now in this time and in the life to come, eternal life. Okay, so we needed a now in this time. <laughs> so we, 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 we like to say it this way. We were forced to believe for the hundredfold because nothing else would help. And this man said, well, Brother Jerry, have you received a hundredfold on every seed you've sown? And I answered the way they did. Not yet. Not yet. I'm not giving up on it. Now, we have received a hundredfold many times, many times. I could tell you stories uh, that would take the rest of the service, and that would be the wrong direction because the Lord gave you something else to share with you. But just to, to uh, uh, lay the foundation, we've received hundredfold many times. I've received it even this year on, on certain seed I've sown. Now, you've come too late for the Savelle household when you say you can't have a hundredfold. Go tell that to somebody else. We believe for it. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. We believe for it. And God honors it. Hallelujah. Amen. And if we haven't received a hundredfold yet, yet, Amen. it's on its way. Amen. I said it's on its way. And one of the things I love about God, he's the God of surprises. Hallelujah. Now, it never surprises me that he does what he says that he's going to do in his word, but it always surprises me at how he goes about doing it. It always surprises me at who he uses to make it happen. I've had him do it in some of the most unusual ways. Uh, one time we were at Kenneth Hagin's camp meeting in uh, Tulsa, <clears throat> and I was building a medical facility in, in the nation of Kenya, and I'm paying cash for it as I went. And uh, if you think building a medical facility in a third world country is cheap, it's simply because you've never done it, okay? And so uh, we're paying cash for it. And Brother Roberts had told me when I completed it that he wanted to use it as a prototype so that he could get some of his graduates in medicine on the mission field, and he was going to send doctors and nurses to my, my, my project in Kenya as a prototype. And so he said, when it's completed, I'll go with you and we'll dedicate it. So well, we're, we're, we think we're close to completion now. And so uh, my director in Kenya called and said, Brother Jerry, I thought we had everything done, but uh, they're demanding some other things and it's still going to cost several thousand dollars before we can do the dedication. Well, in the natural, I didn't have it. I had money that was designated for other projects, but I can't use it on this project because back home, the Internal Revenue Service, if you use money that's been generated for a project and you use it on something else, they call that misappropriating funds and they'll shut you down. So I couldn't use it there. And so I, I told my director, I said, well, God's taken care of us up to this point and he's not going to disappoint us and I'll let you know when it comes in. And so that's where it stood at that time. And then we're in this meeting, okay? And uh, after the service, we're going back to our room. We're in the elevator. 
and the doors were closing. And just before they closed, there was two small hands got to press the door open. And I could tell it was a lady's hand. So I pushed the button for open. And it opened. And then the elevator was myself, my wife, uh, Jesse and Kathy Duplantis, and Happy and Jeannie Caldwell, and John Copeland, the Copeland's son. And we're all talking about uh, what we heard preached that night. And the little woman stepped in the elevator, pushed the button to her floor. She was in a, a track suit, a jogging suit. I think you call them track suits, okay? She didn't have a purse. She didn't have a Bible. Looks like she was just somebody staying in the hotel and may have went for a walk or maybe went to the restaurant to have dinner. And it didn't look like she was had come out of that meeting. She just pushed the button. All she said was when I opened the door for, thank you, push the button. And she stood there waiting for the door to open. She was on a floor lower than ours. When the door opened, she walked down, turned around, and reached in her pocket and said, Brother Jerry, God told me this would happen here and handed me a check. And as the doors were closing, I barely had enough time to say thank you. So I got a check in my hand, and inquiring minds want to know, you know. <laughs> so I opened the check, and it was more than enough to finish that project, praise God. More than enough. Amen. So don't tell me God doesn't honor his word. Don't tell me he won't do what he said. I've been living this way for 54 years now, and my testimony is God has never disappointed Amen. me. In fact, I don't know who wrote that song we sang a little earlier. Uh, all my life he's been faithful. All my life he's been so, so good. Whoever wrote it, they had Jerry Savelle in mind. And that's my testimony. My testimony is God has been faithful. Amen? So now, <clears throat> God not only expects us to experience harvest on every seed we sow, but he expects recompense for everything that's taken from us. That's living in the maximum. In other words, don't let the devil get away with anything. Where's my water, Joe? I thought I had some water up here. Thank you, sir. Excuse me, I've been preaching nearly every night for a long time. By the way, this is honey and water. You have to clarify everything these days. It's not wine. It's not home brew from Texas. <laughs> it just helps my throat. So <clears throat> we not only can expect harvest from every seed that we sow, but once again, we can expect God to recompense for anything that has been taken from us. Now, I know because I've communicated with this family all these years, and particularly over the last few years during COVID, and you guys were, were hit harder than most of the rest of the nation and most of the rest of the world. You were shut down for a whole lot longer than most everybody else. And I've, I've heard stories of, of people, uh, how hard and how uh, difficult it was just to exist. You know, and even back home in America during COVID, there were a lot of people that, that uh, had to use all their hard-earned savings because they didn't have jobs to just make ends meet. 
and, and some had to settle for less paying jobs. Some had to go work in less paying jobs and do two jobs just to keep food on the table and so forth. So it, it was very difficult for a lot of people and a lot of people in the body of Christ. But I like to say it this way, because I heard the Lord tell me many years ago. He said, son, it's never over until I say it's over. And I'll never say it's over until you win. Hallelujah. So look at your neighbor and say, it's not over. Because God hasn't said it's over. And it'll never be over until you win. I think you ought to give the Lord a good shout. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. So maximum, once again, means the greatest or the highest level attainable, which would include not only harvest on what you sow, but restitution and restoration and recompense on what's been taken from you. Amen. So let's take a look at this. Go to John chapter 10, then we'll go back to Proverbs 6. Now, let's go instead start in Proverbs 6. You've been waiting a long time. And I know most of you are familiar with this. This is the scripture that the Lord gave me when I wrote the book in 1981. If Satan can't steal you, joy can't keep you goods. And uh, it, that book has gone all over the world. It's been reprinted, I don't know how many times. In fact, the the cover that's on it now is an old cover, and it says over 250,000 copies have been sold. That's, that was a long time ago. There's, there's nearly a million copies have been sold. And uh, it, in fact, I go to nations that I've never been to before and find out that book got there long before I ever got there. First time I ever went to Singapore, long time ago. Carol and I flew in there from uh Perth, and uh, got to Singapore late that night. We don't know a soul there. Never been to Singapore. Somebody invited me to come, and uh, we didn't know who was picking us up. And so we're just walking down the terminal there, and two young men came walking toward us, and I noticed they began to smile real big when they saw us. I said, Carolyn, that, that might be who's picking us up, take us to the hotel. When they walked up to me, they didn't say, hello, Brother Jerry, hello, Sister Carolyn. They said, oh, Satan can't steal your joy, can't keep your goods. <laughs> I said, Carolyn, this is our ride. <laughs> that book got there way before I'd ever been to Singapore. Amen. I told Jesse Plantis, you ever been to Singapore? He said, no. I said, you ought to go. He said, why? I said, everybody looks up to you over there, praise God. <laughs> and we're real short. <laughs> All right, enough, buddy. Proverbs. Have you found Proverbs yet? Yes. Proverbs chapter, what did I say? Okay, I just want to know if you're listening. Proverbs 6.31. Let's begin in verse 30. Men do not despise a thief if he steal to satisfy his soul when he is hungry. But if he be found, he shall restore sevenfold. He shall give all the substance of his house. So notice here, God says that when you catch a thief, and we know Satan is a thief, 
And what are thieves? What, what, what's the nature of a thief? To steal. And most thieves, what they have, they didn't earn. They stole. Now, I'm, I'm you know, 54 years of the Lord, and I think I'm pretty much sanctified. But I have a hard time with a thief. Because they have no regard for what you went through to get what they just helped themselves to. I, I'm a farm boy. I was raised on a farm, born on a farm in Mississippi. And uh, I've always liked the outdoors. I, I like cattle, horses. It's the way I was raised. And when we moved to Fort Worth, uh, over a period of time, we moved to several different places. And we were living in a home uh, that was not too far from downtown Fort Worth. It had been a home that was built in 1957 by John Senator John Kinley, uh, Conley. He's the man that was in the limo when JFK was assassinated. And he and his wife had built this home in 57. And at that time, it had a lot of property with it. And it was not as, as close to downtown Fort Worth as it had become because Fort Worth grew yeah, outward. And uh, Carolyn came across this house one day. She said, Carolyn, uh, Jerry, I found a house I want. I want you to buy it. It needs total restoration. You buy it, and I'll restore it. <laughs> so I went to look at it, and, and uh, I thought, dear Lord, Carolyn, another project? She said, don't talk to me about projects. You're always buying classic cars and restoring them. I said, you could have been an attorney. Okay. And so I bought the place for her, and she started restoring it. it was a, she, when she got through, it looked like, you know, something out of Better Homes and Gardens or whatever, because <clears throat> she's very gifted in that way. And uh, so we were enjoying the home. And one day, there's a, what was unusual about it was, in Fort Worth, it begins West Texas, and it begins prairie land. You have to believe God for a tree in Fort Worth. <laughs> and, and this home had 21 trees around it, beautiful trees. Had a large swimming pool. Had uh, uh, fountains flowing from the back all the way up to a goldfish pond. Had a, had a, a guest house. And a beautiful old house, and when Carolyn got through with it, it was a showpiece. But then the tree started dying. And so we, uh, I called someone to come and treat the trees, and he gave me an estimate. Boy, man, I thought, I don't, I don't want to buy another house. I just want the trees treated, you know. <laughs> and uh, it was a large uh, figure for the estimate in treating these trees. So I told him, <clears throat> I said, now, I... I just finished restoring this house, and I can't do that right now. But I've got your estimate, and as soon as I'm ready, I'll give you a call. He said, okay. So I've got his estimate. I haven't signed anything. I haven't signed a contract. I've just got the estimate. And so we left town, and we're on some meetings, and we were going a couple of weeks when we come back. We pulled up in front of our house, and all these guys are in our trees trimming the limbs and doing all that was on that estimate. And I went to the owner, that, I mean, the 
the, the man who owned the company. I said, sir, what are you doing? He said, I'm trimming your trees. I said, I told you I'm not ready for that yet. He said, no, you, gave, you told me you wanted me to trim your trees. I said, sir, I told you when I'm ready, I'll call you. And I haven't called you. And I haven't signed anything. I said, get you guys out of the trees. I'll call you when I'm ready. He said, well, what we've already done, you owe me $3,000 for that. I said, sir, in the natural, I don't owe you anything. I haven't signed a contract. He said, you're a preacher. You're a liar if you don't give me $3,000. I thought, yeah, and the old Jerry Savelle's about to rise up. <laughs> you know, you don't look at me so holy. Every once in a while, you, as Jesse calls it, you have a fit of carnality, okay? And boy, I felt it coming on. And he said, uh, you're a preacher. And if you don't give me $3,000, you're a liar. You're not a man of your word. Boy, that just didn't go off well. I am a man of my word. In fact, that's what I'm known for, is a man of integrity, a ministry of integrity. And I've, I've, kept, I've kept it that way for 54 years. And this guy that I've just met a week before is calling me a liar and a man that's not of my word. And uh, so anyway, I said, sir, just get your people out of the trees and leave. I don't owe you a dime. Well, he left. He said uh, on his way out. He said, I'm going to call the sheriff's department. I said, well, call them, sir. And while you're at it, call old Roberts, Kenneth Hagin, and, 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 and T.L. Osborne. They all know my integrity. He didn't know who they were. And then I went to the office the next day. And I still, I still, I'm just being honest with you. I wanted to hurt the guy. I wanted to slap him and then pray for him later. And I went to the office with this on me. And the Lord said, you better get a grip. I said, right now, I don't want to. It feels good to act like other Christians. <laughs> Why do I have to be different, you know? <laughs> He said, you better get a grip. If you don't get a grip on this, you're going to miss out on a blessing. So I spent the rest of the morning getting a grip <laughs> by faith. I had no idea that man was going to show up in my office. And he got my secretary and said, could I see Brother Savelle? And she told me who it was. I didn't know what he wanted. So he came in the office and he said, Brother Jerry, I apologize. I was wrong. He said, I'm hurting financially, and I just assumed that you wouldn't question it. I knew I was wrong. I knew I didn't have a contract. You hadn't signed anything, and I've come to apologize. Forgive me. And I said, well, yes, sir, I, I forgive you. And I said, not only that, I'm going to pay you the $3,000. Even though I don't have to, I'm going to pay you the $3,000. And when I'm ready, I will call you to come and finish the job. And he thanked me, and we prayed together, and he left. Shortly after that, Brother Hagan asked me to come to Raymond to teach uh, a few sessions that on, in the morning school at uh, Raymond. 
And on the way up there, the Lord said to me, I commend you for how you responded to this. And now, he gave me this verse. Now, I will see to it you will experience sevenfold from what was taken from you. So when I got to Ramah, I preached on it. Now, I haven't experienced the sevenfold yet, but I'm just telling them what the, what the Word said and what the Word said to me. I get home, and I get a call from Brother Copeland. He said, Jerry, there's a man called me, a friend of mine has called me, and uh, wanted to know if, if he could call you. I said, well, if he's a friend of yours, of course he can call me. He said, well, I took the liberty to give him your number, and I trust it's okay, and he'll be calling you in just a few minutes. I said, okay. So he called me, and he said, uh, can you meet me out at Meacham Airport? I said, yes, sir. He said, uh, I'm only here for a few minutes. I'm on my way to Tulsa. I just flew in from Denver. And he said, but if you'll meet me at the airport, I have something for you. And so I went out to the airport and uh, met him at his airplane. He's standing there by his airplane. And he just handed me a paper bag. He said, it's yours. And then he said, don't tell me where I, don't ask me where I got it. <laughs> and then he said this, trust me, it came from the devil's camp. He said, look at it. I opened it. It was full of money. I closed it real big and threw it back to him. I said, what are you doing, sir? It looked like a drug deal going on here. <laughs> now, I've never done a drug deal, but that's the way Jesse told me to do it. <laughs> and so I said, what are you doing, sir? He said, no, it's for you. He said, there's $21,000 in there. And he said, now, I don't want a receipt for it. It doesn't go to your ministry. It goes to you personally. And God told me to tell you, it came from the enemy's camp. Okay. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so I, he wouldn't take no for an answer. He got in the airplane, shut the door, and taxied off. And I'm standing there with my mouth open. And I put it in my car and drove home, walked in the house with a paper bag. And I said, what do you got in the bag? Now, Jesse calls this she money. She don't know I got it. She ain't getting it. <laughs> I said, no. And I told her the story. And she said, well, what's in the bag? I said, $21,000 cash. What? I said, and he told me he got it from the enemy's camp. And then suddenly I remembered. The Lord said, I'll make it up to you. Proverbs Yay. chapter 6. What is seven times three? <laughs> 21,000. 21,000. Somebody said, well, I never had anything like that happen to me. Not yet. It's time for the maximum. Amen. I said, it's time for the maximum. Amen. Now, I don't know how God arranges things like that. I'm not God. He's God. I'm just the, the believer. And, and these things happen to believers. Amen. I, I don't tell God how to do it. I didn't tell him. I, would, I wouldn't have thought up in a million years, that scenario. Now, God, you owe me $21,000. Now, how are you going to make it happen? I know. Ooh. I just had a vision. A man will come to Fort Worth, 
call Brother Copeland, get my number, meet me, give me 21000 Yeah, that's how we're going to do it to God. I couldn't dream that up in a thousand years, and neither could you. But God, God can. God has ways to do it that you and I couldn't dream up in a thousand years. Just let God be God and you be you. Amen? Amen. So notice here, God desires that you not only experience maximum harvest on every seed you sow, but also on anything that is taken from you by your adversary. If you've had something taken from you, then don't let him get away with it. What would you do in the natural if somebody took something from you and you caught them? Well, in the natural, you'd probably take them to court. Why? You don't want them to get away with it. Well, don't let Satan get away with stealing from you. Don't just act like, well, what will be will be. No, you are entitled, if you catch a thief, make him pay. Make him pay. In fact, the first time Jesse heard me preach this message, he got up right behind me and said, with what I just heard Jerry Savelle preach, I have just become too expensive for the devil to mess with. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. Now, did you find John chapter 10? John chapter 10. What time is it? Still got a few minutes here. John chapter 10. You're all familiar with this verse as well. Verse 10, the thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The message translation says, a thief is only there to steal, kill, and destroy. In other words, that's his sole purpose. That's what he is consumed with, kill, steal, and destroy. It's on his mind 24-7. And he, he will attempt to do so in any way that he possibly can. And he hopes that you will just let him do it and don't retaliate. Amen? A thief is only there to steal, kill, and destroy. In other words, that's, that's what he thrives on, is stealing, killing, and destroying 24-7. But on the other hand, Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The Amplified says, to the full and until it overflows. Amen. Now we're talking maximum. Amen. Overflowing life. Overflowing life. Somebody said, yeah, when we get to heaven, overflowing life. What do we need with overflowing life in heaven? You have heard the devil's not going? There will be no stealing in heaven. No, overflowing life is to be enjoyed down here. That's, the, that's a definition of the maximum, amen. overflowing life. Can you say amen? amen? The message translation says, better life than you've ever dreamed. That's maximum. Hallelujah. You ought to be living better life than you've ever dreamed. I say that all the time. Carol and I are living better life than we ever dreamed possible, ever imagined. In fact, if I'd have known that life could be this good the way I live it now, I would have got born again shortly after the yes. doctors yes. spanked me on the bottom. 
at birth. If I'd have known that life could be this good. And you say, you mean you never have any attacks? All the time. You mean the devil never bothers you? All the time. I'm any different than you are. I might know a little more than some of you. I might have experienced a little more than some of you. But you're just as entitled to this overflowing life, this life far greater than you've ever dreamed as I am. Amen. But it's not going to just happen automatically. You know, that's the problem with a lot of Christians today. They, 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 they just want it to happen. And they don't have to do anything. Well, my Bible says, and by the way, in the New Testament, the doer of the word shall be blessed in his deed. I'm just as required to be a doer in the word as a New Testament believer as they were required to be obedient to the word in the Old Testament. I'm not under the curse they were under. Thank God I've been redeemed from the curse. Amen. But you can't just sit back and say, well, if it be the will of God, it will just happen. No, we are doers of the word of God if we desire to be blessed in our deeds. Can you say amen? amen. So to the full, till it overflows, better life than you've ever imagined. Now listen to the Passion Translation. I've come to give you everything in abundance. Everything in abundance. More than you expect. Life in its fullness. That's the maximum. Let me read it again. I've come to give you everything in abundance. More life than you expect. Or more than you expect. And life in its fullness. That's the maximum. But who's preventing you from experiencing that? Well, we could blame the devil. But the Bible says my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Amen. Some people don't even need a devil. They just have no knowledge of the word. They don't, they don't know what belongs to them. Amen. So notice here, Jesus is talking about Life in its fullness, abundant life, life far better than we've ever dreamed, life overflowing. That's what we're entitled to. That's God's will for our life. That's God's plan for our life. And he's not talking about when we get to heaven. He's talking about right here in the here and now. Amen. No matter what's happening in the world around us, we don't have to go on the same course they're on. Now, we may come under attack like they do, but they don't, they don't know what to do. When, when, they, when they reach the limit to their intellect and the limit to their natural means and ability, then that's, that's where they end. But you and I, we have God. We have his word. We have the Holy Spirit. We have Jesus. We have the angels. I mean, there's no excuse for us losing any battles whatsoever. Thank you for your enthusiasm. But it's not going to just happen automatically. The Bible tells us we must fight the good fight of faith. Amen. Amen. I'm a fighter. Amen. I'm a fighter. And I will continue to fight. When I find out something in God's word that belongs to me, then the fight begins. And it's not over until I win. Because quitting is not an option, praise God. 
I, I've got, I got done with quitting 54 years ago. So, most of you in here, perhaps, have experienced some trying times over the last few years. Satan has stolen from you. He's endeavored to steal from you. But Jesus promised abundant life, life to its fullness. That's the good news. And the good news added to that is it's not over yet. Amen. Amen. He told me to tell you you could have maximum and the highest level attainable this year. This year. Amen. How many of you are going to go for it? Praise God. Now look at that hand. Make sure it's yours, not your neighbor's. Okay. Say, I'm going for it. If God says I can have it, then no devil's going to stop me from having it. In Jesus' name. And give him another good shout of praise. Amen. How many of you believe God is still on the throne? Jesus is still Lord. The Holy Ghost is still our helper. The Word of God will not return void. Then what are you crying about? Amen. You, you got it made. Hallelujah. Praise God. The question is, do you still believe that God honors His Word? No matter what's happening in the world around us, the Word will not return void. The word is forever, forever settled in heaven, praise God. Can you say amen? amen? So we can rest assured that God is working behind the scenes, even while we're sitting here right now. He's always working behind the scenes. Let me give you a quick testimony. We'll take up the rest of it here tonight. I'm not done yet. Uh, during COVID, God blessed us with something that I've been believing for for 20 years. I've, I've had the privilege of preaching in over 50 nations around the world. A television broadcast is seen in about 200 nations around the world. Our resources are all over the world. And I, I still travel. Uh, I'm 76 years old. I heard go ye in 1969. I haven't heard go, uh, stop ye yet. So that's what I do. And in a lot of places we go, the commercial airlines can't service us. A lot of times, Joe and I and some of our team that travel the world, we'll, we'll go as far as we can on a commercial airline, and then sometimes somebody will have to pick us up and drive us another 200 miles because there's, uh, particularly in parts of Africa, in the interior, there, there are no uh, commercial airports. And so uh, we've been believing God for 20 years now for, a, for an international aircraft. Over the years, God's blessed our ministry uh, up until 2022, or 2020 rather. God had blessed our ministry with 10 different aircrafts debt-free, but none of them would take me to the nations. The, 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 the one that I had before this one, it, the range on it was about 1,700, 1,750 nautical miles. Well, that would take me anywhere in America, but it wouldn't take me to Australia, wouldn't take me to Africa, wouldn't take me to Europe, you know. And so we were believing for an international aircraft. Well, in 2020, when the rest of the world is screaming, worst of times, worst of times, Jerry Savelle Ministries was having its best of times. And that international jet, paid for it in cash, manifested. Hallelujah. Amen. And we began flying it. And so earlier this year, we had a, a trip where we were preaching in Africa. 
And uh, it was going to, I was looking so forward to it because I've been going to Africa since 1978, but it's going to be the first time to go in my own aircraft. Oh, man, I was looking forward to this. And so we had we had plotted the course and where we're going to stop along the way and so forth. And, and uh, so it came time for us to make that trip. We took off. And we landed in... Uh, uh, St. John's, Newfoundland, the first leg. And then the second leg, we landed in London. And then the third leg, we landed in Cairo, Egypt. Then after that, we were going to Nairobi. And we were just going to refuel in Nairobi and then go on to Johannesburg, South Africa, where I would start my meetings. Then we were going to come back across Africa, and after uh, South Africa would be Ethiopia. So we're just cruising along there. I'm telling you, I couldn't wipe the smile off my face. And I have, a, I have an air show right in front of my seat where it plots the course. I can, I can watch how fast we're flying, how many miles it is left for that trip, uh, that leg, uh, what arrival time is. And all. So I got it all where I can keep up with it. So I'm watching the air show, and we're flying at 43,000 feet doing 670 miles an hour. <clears throat> if that doesn't, if that, as Brother Cooper would say, if that don't light your fire, your wood is wet. Amen. <laughs> I can't wipe the smile off my face. In fact, I can't sit down. I'm just walking the, 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 the cabin back there, just walking back and forth, shouting and praising God. A little while my chief pilot come back there and said, Brother Jerry, do you know how fast we're flying? I said, yes, sir, I've been watching it. He said, if you think it's fun riding in this plane, you ought to come up here and fly it. He said, this is the finest airplane I've ever flown in my life. And we're just having a blast. I said, get on back in the cockpit. I'll do the, I'll do the shouting for us back here. And uh, so we're just, I mean, just enjoying it. And and each leg, it, we'd, we'd arrive ahead of schedule. That airplane was performing perfectly. Oh, I was just in my element, praising God. We got to Nairobi, and uh, we were just going to refuel and then go on to Joburg. Refueled, took off, got about 10,000 feet, not too far out from the airport. And all of a sudden, I noticed on the air show, I, I have a little, it, there's a little airplane on there, and it looks like mine. <laughs> and I noticed the airplane is turning doing a 180. So I knew something's going on in the cockpit, so I didn't want to bother him. And I, then I'm noticing that we're headed back to Nairobi. And we land in Nairobi. Then I asked the pilots, what's going on? They said, we lost oil pressure in the, in the right engine, number three engine. And said, and uh, we, we shut that engine down, hoping that it didn't, wasn't damaged. And we're landing in Nairobi to get it checked. So when we landed, we asked one of the service people there for a step ladder so we could step up there and open the cowling and look inside that engine. There was a hole blown in that oil pump this big, oil all over the casing in the engine. And uh, they don't have a Falcon service center in Nairobi. They have one in Joburg. So now we have to find out, have to do an inspection to see if that engine is damaged. 
Well, make a long story short, and this we're talking about over a period of three or four weeks, this ordeal was taking place. So we finally had to get a loaner engine. They flew it from San Diego all the way to Nairobi. Then customs wouldn't let it through. And then we had to, I had friends in Nairobi that had uh, contact with the customs people. They got the engine through. Then they don't have any mechanics to take our engine off and put the new engine on. So we had to fly three mechanics from Joburg up to Nairobi so they could took our engine off, put the loaner engine on, put our engine in a crate, and send it back to Houston where we have most of our uh, service done on the, on the Falcon. So this is, this is an ordeal, okay? Now, this is the beginning of my trip. I hadn't started preaching yet. So I, I, I got to catch a commercial airline out of Nairobi and fly to uh, Joburg and with the crew that was with me. And then after we finished that meeting, we're going to Ethiopia. So we had to get commercial tickets for that, you know. And uh, so we're talking, I mean, I'm not too good to fly commercial airlines. I've done it when I'm, when I'm leaving for another airplane. In between those two spans, between amen and there it is, commercial, okay? And, and, I, and I've flown commercial a lot. In fact, I dare say I'm the only person in this building that has a card from American Airlines where I have been qualified executive platinum because I've flown 4.5 million miles on that one airline. Wow. Show me yours. <laughs> <laughs> So I've flown, I've flown, and I'm not too good to fly the commercial airlines. But when you have an international jet, then you have to go through the terminal and get whatever seat is left on the commercial airline. The seat that was left, because we had not made reservations in advance, it, it happened because our plane is down. I wind up sitting in a seat like this in front of the toilet. <laughs> and I heard flushing all night long. And people in line bumping me. And I'm thinking, Jesus, help me. He said, don't let it get you joy. I said, oh, you're almost too late. <laughs> so anyway, when we finally got the engine replaced, got the other engine shipped to Houston, then they picked me up in France and got to fly back home on my own airplane, okay? Now, my point of telling you the story is this. I told my pilots when this all began, when we lost that engine, I told them, I said, now, you understand? You hear me? This will not get my joy. It's inconvenient, and I prefer that it didn't happen, but it is not going to get my joy. Not only that, Satan's going to pay us back. Amen. I'm not letting him get away with this. And so we, we began the pursuit right then of restoration, restitution, recompense. And here's the good news. To overhaul that engine, now this Falcon has three engines. To overhaul one engine on a Falcon is $1.5 million. One engine. It cost another almost half a million dollars to do all this 
getting the pilots up there, flying commercial, other things, and testings and, and permits and all that. So bottom line is flying commercial and, and uh, making all different arrangements, it would have cost us $2 million just for that one trip because of the difficulty we had. But we didn't let it get our joy. And guess what God did? Didn't cost me one dime. <laughs> didn't cost me one dime. Not only that, my insurance covered what they're expected to cover. A company called JSSI that we invested into every month so that when things like this happen, you don't have to come up with a lump sum all at one time. We invest in that every month. We had enough in there. And then the manufacture of the engines on that airplane, it was an engine failure on their part, not our part. It wasn't mechanic, I mean a pilot error of any kind. So between those three, insurance, JSSI, and Pratt & Whitney, they covered everything. Not only that, they covered my commercial flights, they covered my hotels, they covered my food, they covered everything. So not only have we broken even, well, actually, we're, we're ahead of the game because we didn't have to put out anything. But the Lord said, are you ready? I said, yes, sir, I stay ready. He said, enjoy this airplane. Something bigger is on its way. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I call that the maximum. Amen. Now, let me close it with this. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 35. 32, 35. God speaking. To me belongeth vengeance and recompense. God says to me, him, belongs vengeance and recompense. Vengeance is defined as justice. It's defined as settling that which is right. And it is administered with a sense of indignation or outrage. In other words, when Satan is stealing from you, then it outrages God. Amen. When he's stealing from you, then it's indignation that rises up in God. And he will administer justice. And then vengeance is defined as to make to return with at least an equivalent in value. To make to return with at least an equivalent in value for that which was taken or suffered. It also means to repay or to compensate. And finally, it means to make restitution for. So what's God saying to us? According to Deuteronomy chapter 32 and 35, regarding vengeance and recompense. He's simply saying this as we continue reading it. And he's talking about their enemies. Our enemy is not people. Our enemies, our adversary, the devil. So we apply it to him. He says regarding Israel's enemies, their foot shall slide in due time. 
for the day of their calamity is at hand, and things that shall come upon them will make haste. Hallelujah. Now you apply that to our adversary. I like to say it this way. His day's coming. Look at your neighbor and say, for what the devil has done to you, his day is coming. There is a day of vengeance. There is a day of justice. Jeremiah chapter 51 verse 6 says, for this is the time of the Lord's vengeance. Hallelujah. Can you give the Lord a good shout over that? Praise God. This is the time for the Lord's vengeance. So, no matter what you've been through over the last few years, it's not over. Amen. It's never over until God says it's over. Amen. And God will never say it's over until you win. Come on, give him your best shout this morning. Stand to your feet if you will. And give him your best shout. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's just lift our hands and just worship the Lord. The praise and worship team, could, you're already there. You're ahead, of the, you're ahead of me. Let's just worship the Lord. Don't wait on anybody else. Just lift your hands and thank God for justice. Thank God for him administering vengeance on your adversary. Hallelujah. See yourself. See yourself this morning with a sevenfold restoration. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, if you study your Bible, you'll find out with God, the minimum in restoration is twofold. Twofold. And that's not bad. Get back twice what you lost. That's what he did for Job. Blessed him twice with everything that had been taken from him. That's minimum. But the Bible says you can also expect or go for sevenfold. Amen. Tell somebody what Jesse said. I just learned today that I have become too expensive for the devil to bother. Come on, let's lift our hands and let's give the Lord a good shout of praise. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. That's one thing to hear what you heard today, walk out and say, oh, wasn't that a good little sermon that little preacher gave us? There's something else to apply it do it. In fact, here's what I did several years ago. Satan had, had stolen numerous times from us during the course of that year. And I sat down and took out a sheet of paper and I wrote down everything that had been stolen. I listed it. And then I wrote Proverbs 6 at the bottom. And I just kept that on my desk. And I, I read it every day. And I confessed it every day. And every time something would be restored, I'd check it off. And before that year was up, I checked off everything on that list. Praise God. The Bible says, write the vision. Make it plain. Get a vision for recompense. Get a vision for restoration. What has he stolen from you? What do you want God to force him to restore and return? Amen. Write it down. Keep it before you. Bible says write the vision so he that reads it can run with it. Or in other words, when you read it, it keeps you motivated. It keeps you focused. Amen. God is faithful. 
Come on, let's lift our hands one more time. Hallelujah. Sing that song. Come on, sing it out. Oh, my Thank you, Father. Shout of praise this morning. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Now, every person who could identify with what I preached this morning, and Satan has stolen from you during this season that we've been through, and you're ready for recompense, lift your hand. Amen. All right, looks like nearly everybody in here. So keep your hands raised. I'm going to pray over you. I, I, need, I need a point of contact. Would you come and represent that section? Uh, would you come and represent this section? Would you come and represent this section? I'm going to lay hands on you. Face me. I'm going to lay hands on them as though I was laying hands on everybody in here. And you just identify with the person from your section. Okay? And just say in your heart, the moment hands are laid upon them, what he prays for them, I receive in Jesus' name. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, in obedience to the Holy Spirit, I lay hands upon these individuals as my point of contact for the entire congregation. In Jesus' name, Satan, we are not going to allow you to get away with stealing, killing, and destroying. Our God is the God of justice. Our God is the God of recompense. Our God is the God of payback. And in Jesus' name, we demand according to the Word of God for everything you have stolen, everything you have taken, we demand a minimum of twice-fold return and we're going for the maximum seven-fold return. In the name of Jesus, make it happen, God. Make it happen for them, God. All over this building and those that are watching by live stream, I declare the God of recompense, the God of justice is working behind the scenes and you are headed for major breakthroughs. Hallelujah. Come on now, give the Lord your best shout. Praise God. Amen. Amen.